It was one of the iconic images of Reagan-era Washington. One of the president's former top aides, Michael Deaver, posing for a Time magazine cover story in a chauffeur-driven Jaguar, phone in hand, Capitol Dome in the background. The editors of Time had chosen Deaver as the emblematic figure for what they saw as a new breed of Washington influence peddlers, crassly raking in big bucks by selling their proximity to power. Cashing in on top connections ran the headline over a profile of Deaver. The news last week that Michael Cohen, President Trump's longtime personal lawyer and fixer, had collected over $2 million in fees from big corporations like AT&T and Novartis, as well as the American arm of a giant Russian firm owned by a pro-Putin oligarch, seemed to shock official Washington. But the Capitol has seen many different versions of this story before, and the Michael Deaver story is among the more memorable examples. We'll look back at his case and what it tells us about what could end up happening to Michael Cohen on this week's Buried Treasure. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. You know, Dan, there was a lot of talk after that famous Time Magazine cover story of what exactly Deaver had done wrong. He had left the White House a year before to become what he termed a public affairs consultant and before long was collecting hefty six-figure retainers from the likes of big companies like CBS and TWA, as well as foreign governments like South Korea and Singapore. But his real crime was flaunting it, posing for that photo and then telling time, quote, there's no question I've got as good access as anybody in town. Sounds familiar, no? Yeah, look, well, first of all, I got to say, um, this is this is a moment when the news magazines, Time and Newsweek, um, you know, could still capture the zeitgeist in a really powerful way. Uh, on you know, with a great still image on the cover uh, and a great uh, cover line. Um, but you know, the real mistake he made, and this is surprising for a guy who was known as Reagan's image meister and a PR guy was he allowed himself to become a symbol, a symbol of, you know, this kind of brazenly bad and greedy behavior. I mean, he invited Time magazine to take that picture of him in the back of a, of a as I recall it, a, a chauffeur-driven um, uh, Jaguar, a Jaguar yeah. talking right. on, you know, a 1980s, uh, 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 you know, car phone. Um, and how could he not understand um, that uh, that was going to be uh, problematic in terms of uh, uh, of the image? Now, maybe it's because, and this is what often happens to people in Washington, he didn't see that the kind of w- the the ethical winds were changing in Washington, and didn't quite understand that in the years after Watergate, you know, this sort of scandal industry uh, was 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 growing in Washington, um, and. Um, and he just blew it. Um, well, I, I would I would argue that um, actually he did uh, see the winds were changing, and this was Ronald Reagan's Washington, where a lot of that um, uh, you know high mindedness about ethics and government in the post Watergate era in the seventies uh, had kind of uh, dissipated, and in the bubble that that Michael Deaver lived, um, the kind of thing he was doing had become. Rigor. Let's remember, this is also the era of Black Manafort and Stone, the uh, the the giant lobbying firm uh, created by 
by Paul Manafort, who we've heard a lot about. Talk lately. about talk about the, yeah, uh, the past Roger being Stone. Talk about the uh, past uh, being prologue. Those names, uh, you know, we we see in the in the right. papers every day now and on Twitter. Right, right, and 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 they were collecting big bucks, uh, cashing in on their uh, on their access, uh, and particularly carving out this special niche of uh, representing foreign governments. Um, but you know, I, I love looking back at that time uh, cover story written, by the way, by our old colleague Evan Thomas, who later on to be came to be our boss at uh, at Newsweek. Um, but you know, a couple of lines really leapt out at me uh, reading it in the light of uh, the Michael Cohen uh, news last week. Uh, Evan with his um, a great appreciation for historical parallels, uh, wrote, old-time fixers such as Tommy the Cork Corcoran and Clark Clifford were not merely practice lawyers but had some genuine legislative expertise to offer. Lately, however, Washington has seen the rise of a new breed of influence peddler whose real value is measured by his friends in high places, particularly in the White House. Uh, and that's what Michael Deaver was cashing in on, uh, much like what Michael Cohen uh, tried to cash in on and did uh, after Donald Trump's election. I just love when you can talk about Tommy the Cork Corcoran and, and, and Clark Clifford. But, you know, it's funny. I, I, when, when we were thinking about this Deaver story uh, in connection with Cohen, the, the, uh, uh, the, the phrase that kept coming into my head was, uh, that that old line from Karl Marx um, that history repeats itself first as tragedy and then as farce, uh, and I actually was thinking, okay, well, at least with Deaver, you had a guy who worked inside uh, the Reagan administration. Uh, he was uh, very close to the president and to the first lady. He was uh, close to Jim Baker and Ed Meese. I think they were called the Troika. I mean, this guy had something that he could actually offer foreign governments and um, and you know and large corporations. You know, what did Michael Cohen really? have. He was outside, right, of, right, he was outside right. the government. I mean, what could he do? He could like interpret Trump's tweets. Uh, he could say, hey, you know, I know the president. This is a guy who uh, goes with his gut. Uh, but what kind of real insights could he offer, uh, you know, big clients? And so why in the world would blue chip companies like AT&T or Novartis actually go to him? But yeah. I think what well, this it's, shows... It's, it's interesting, though, because, you know, get... Back to the Deaver parallel here. Uh, in in reading through the uh, uh, the the profile of Deaver that accompanied that um, uh, Time magazine cover story, um, they raised the question of what. Uh, quoting Deaver, saying he doesn't actually do much lobbying. Uh, he doesn't do any public relations work or legislative drafting or direct mail or polling or any of the sorts of services performed by most uh, high-powered influence shops. So what exactly does he do, wrote Time in 1986. And uh, the answer from uh, uh uh, Deaver was strategic planning, he says somewhat airily. Um, now, maybe there was some of that, uh, uh, but it turns out um, there was a lot more to the um, to the Deaver story by becoming a uh, a symbol of the cashing in culture of Washington. Um, he inevitably uh, attracted the. Um, uh, attracted the attention of, um, of, of federal prosecutors and independent counsel was appointed. And within a year of that cover story, Deaver was 
indicted, not for anything he did improper in lobbying, but for lying about it, both to a federal uh, grand jury and to a congressional committee. And then uh, that was 1987. Uh, within six months, uh, by the end of that year, he's, uh, he's convicted. Now, he didn't do any time. As I recall, he did do like 1,500 hours of community service. Uh, but um, ultimately, he I think his sentence was suspended or um, he, he didn't actually do any uh, prison time. But this was a, you know, this was a moment in Washington um, when, look, as we talked about before, uh, this, you know, lobbying and influence peddling um, was something that had happened, you know, had gone on for you know decades and decades. Uh, but, you know, I think there was there was something about the the. Uh, ha- how Deaver flaunted it, how brazen the behavior was, um, this kind of like – I think someone referred to it as nouveau riche lobbying. Um, right. So, so – and, and I think yeah, that was the problem and that's what in part attracted Congress, investigative reporters and, and, uh, and prosecutors. And there was you – know, that wasn't the only case of that. I mean you, know, you m- may remember that Lynn Nossiger – who was a Politico uh, who helped uh, get uh, Ronald Reagan elected president, uh, got caught up in a very similar kind of lobbying scandal and I think was also indicted and and convicted, though I think the the case was thrown out. That was in connection with the – remember this, Mike? The WedTech scandal. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty soon we'll be talking uh, about uh, Inslaw, Danny Casolaro and the octopus. Hey, that's another buried treasure. We ought to do that one day. I was just going to say we could do five buried treasures out of those those scandals, pseudo scandals, forgotten scandals. Um, But um, you've you've inspired me for future (laughs) weeks. Um, Anyway, you know. Just back to the the parallel between Deaver and uh, and and Cohen. In some ways, you're right because Cohen has lowered the bar even more. Because Deaver, you're right. Even though he claimed to not do much lobbying, uh, he at least did have some knowledge of the way the Reagan administration operated. He was a deputy chief of staff uh, to the president. Uh, he certainly knew all the characters. Um, but Michael Cohen, you know, had no background in or any expertise in the issues these companies were hiring him for AT&T, uh, Novartis, uh, you know, regulatory matters involving pharmaceuticals in the case of Novartis, uh, issues. No, but he could get you a taxi medallion. Uh, yeah, know. he could get you a taxi medallion and he could, you know, claim to tell you what Donald Trump was thinking. Although why anybody could, couldn't just read Donald Trump's tweets every morning and get the same insights that Michael Cohen had to offer is a bit beyond me. Um, But, um, you know, Deaver had absolutely no background other than this connection to um, as the personal lawyer to Donald Trump. And also worth pointing out, um, Deaver had left the White House. He was now out in the private sector. Cohen, while he's collecting these big bucks from all these companies and other interests that had business before the government was still the personal lawyer for Trump. Um, so there was in, in some ways a much closer connection to Trump than even Deaver had with Reagan, 
Um, yeah, maybe. I think what we're seeing, and maybe this is the true uh, the true crime here, is the slow but steady degradation of the standards and dignity in the uh, in the uh, 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 influence uh, peddling business. You know, right. where have the standards gone? They used to be so good at this. <laughs> a long way from Clark Clifford and and, and Tommy the Cor- Corcoran. Uh, but um, but look, uh, um, you know, you saw we had the news, the additional news this week that um, some companies did draw a line. Cohen called up Ford, for instance, another company that well, uh, right. um, uh, that Trump had criticized on the campaign trail and tried to hustle their business, and Ford turned and turned him down. So apparently, yeah. did Uber. So and, and that is, you know, one of the mysteries of this whole Cohen episode, which is why these, you know, uh, blue chip uh, corporations um, would fall for some guy like Michael Cohen. Yes, he has a relationship with him. But, you know, you can it, – it, it just, you know, it just screams uh, amateur hour and um, that this is just going to come back and bite you if you hire a guy like Michael Cohen uh, to try to get access to uh, Donald Trump. And it's just, just – it's sort of kind of head-scratching why they would have ultimately done this. Now, maybe, maybe what happened was uh, these companies are used to doing uh, business with um, American presidents who operate according to a certain uh, you know, set of rules and standards and norms. And all of a sudden, you have Donald Trump, who's totally unpredictable. Uh, you have no idea what he's going to do or say or tweet in any given moment. And that makes – uh, someone like Michael Cohen, or at least that was what they how they viewed it. Someone like M- Michael Cohen uh, more valuable because he's because Trump is such a hard person to understand, and maybe that's what was going on. Well, uh, they all are pretty red faced now. I talked to some folks uh, who were involved in the um, uh, or knowledgeable about the hiring of. Um, Cohen by these companies uh, last week, and it was pretty clear uh, they uh, were ashamed of what had happened, uh, and also made it pretty clear that after a couple of uh, uh, meetings or phone calls with with Cohen, uh, that they basically um, uh, pulled the plug on the arrangement. They continued to pay him. So in the case of uh, uh, Novartis, one meeting with Cohen, he collected $1.2 million over a year. That is uh, astonishing. AT&T, not much that more is an than astonishing that. amount of money. 600000 uh, So that's a lot of big bucks for basically doing nothing. Right. Well, the, so, um, the, so, it, so the problem for these companies is uh, not only do they look, does it look sleazy, but they look stupid and naive. And they can't really afford to look stupid and naive. So um, I think that's why you saw, uh, right. you know, the head of, of AT&T, um, you know, come out, come out and say it was a huge mistake um, and, uh, and like kind of pull the plug as, as quickly as possible. Just kind of end this. Well, thing. let's not uh, knock being stupid and naive because uh, that's uh, what gives us so much rich material for our podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of Buried Treasure. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also, tell us what you think. Leave a review. 
And Skullduggery is now on Sirius XM on POTUS Channel 124 every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time with replays on Sundays at 2 a.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll talk to you on Friday. Oh,